I'm Michael, the host of the semi-monthly podcast, In a City Like Yours. Join me as I chat with interesting people with interesting life stories. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Twitter at IACLYS Podcast, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at In a City Like Yours Podcast. Please feel free to let me know what you think and keep coming back for the many interesting stories in a city like yours. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is Jack's sense of critical entitlement, Perry Cyber. That's me. I knew that was coming. Felt that coming all the way. <laughs> this is our second part of our 1999 double feature. We will be discussing David Fincher's Fight Club in just a moment. First, Perry, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? I made it to the movies last week, well, last week when we were recording this, okay. and finally saw Ad Astra. Oh, interesting. I'm seeing it tonight as okay. we're recording this. Okay. Uh, and it is, uh, I, I, the reason I most want to talk about it is I think it's an outstanding Brad Pitt performance. I think he's, re- he's really strong uh, in Ad Astra, and it was fun to see it okay. so close to revisiting Fight Club. And okay, seeing yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt 20 years ago and Brad Pitt now. And I think he's become... I don't think he was a bad actor in 1999 by any means. I think he was always a very talented actor. I think he's become a better actor in I 20 years. I definitely agree with that. And uh, it, it was fun to see it. It was fun to see the difference. Uh, he's He is so controlled in Ed Astra. And he is so not controlled in Fight Club. <laughs> Yes. Purposefully so. This is not a knock. This is, it's, it's, it's an over the top performance purposefully. It's a, it's, it's a great one. Uh, yeah. And Astra is, uh, I will, I will, I will, I will use this much hyperbole. James Gray for me, uh, already made, if I'm going back, let's, let's just call it 20 years. Mm-hmm. There are precisely three car chases I've ever liked. Okay. <laughs> I hate car chases, Chris. I hate car chases in the movies. They are always pointless. They are utterly boring. They never advance the plot. They're never exciting to me, ever. There are three grand exceptions to that rule. And one of them is in Ad Astra. Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> and it's the second one of the three James Gray has directed. <laughs> What's the other one? The, the car chase in We Own the Night. Okay. You are in the car with Walking Phoenix and the entire thing is shot from inside his car. Oh, wow. And you hear it from inside his car. So, like, you hear these dull thuds when cars collide, not, you know, high-pitched shattering glass. Okay. It is horrifying. It is one of the most intense, great action sequences of the last 20 years to me. I, it's so good. I recommend the movie. The movie's fine. The movie's not terrible by any means. It's nothing great. It's a fine film. It's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable genre movie. That car chase is phenomenal filmmaking. <laughs> And this one's very different and okay. just as good. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Every every few falls, there is some space movie that comes out that I usually end up liking. I don't know what it is about this time <laughs> of year, but this is when Gravity came out. This is when <gasps> The Martian came out. This is when, <sighs> to a lesser degree, Interstellar came out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, 
my wife and I have a rare night without kids tonight, so we're going to go check it out. Did you like Contact? I did like Contact. You're going to like this. Okay, I really like Contact. I haven't seen it in a while, and I need to rewatch it, but I do like I Contact. don't think revisiting Contact is anything anyone needs to okay. do. I think you just remember how much you enjoyed it, and that's good. Okay, that's I agree. I like Contact as well. Okay. And I, I'm very worried rewatching it would not produce good results. That might have been my my uh, fear with Fight Club this week. So, who knows? <laughs> um, so I'm still making my way through catching up on things from 2019. Uh, I recently, re- well, actually, it was a few weeks ago, but I watched the Hulu film, um, the Amazing Jonathan documentary. Oh, yeah. which one is this? This is <laughs> there's two of these, right? Yeah, this is the one that probably got a lot more attention. So the Amazing Jonathan documentary was a big hit at Sundance this year. Uh, it's directed by Ben Berman. I don't even know. I, I go back and forth on whether I even like this movie. <laughs> it's, it's worth a look because I, it's either something that is doing something really fascinating or it's full of shit. And I don't know. Uh, this is about Ben Berman trying to construct a documentary about the Amazing Jonathan, a comedian magician who was very popular in the 80s. Retired about 10 years ago because he was having health issues. <laughs> he was Probably old. from a lifetime of cocaine use. Uh, no, actually, <laughs> the, you do learn he is a daily meth user. Still. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but he has some heart issues where he expects he could be dead at any time. Yes. And the story basically goes, I'll just, I'll walk it up to the edge of what this movie is, is Ben Berman kind of discovering this is a hard guy to pin down for a documentary. And... He kind of gets left in the lurch a few times. He learns this guy has a daily meth habit. He's not really always very forthcoming. He's kind of volatile. And then at one point, a second documentary crew shows up also yes. making a documentary. Have you seen this movie? No, I've heard okay. about this. I, I, I Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. It is a movie that is fascinating to watch in the moment. And there is a part of me that wonders if it is designed as a commentary on creating documentaries about celebrities and the just the hardship of trying to get that done the idea of trying to exploit someone's pain in their life and finding them at their lowest moment the it it finds little ethical tricks for Berman to get into and I don't know how much is intentional how much of him is salvaging a movie that's throwing apart how much this was intended from the beginning so it could be a meta documentary that is really saying something important or it's a self self indulgent <laughs> piece of shit, and I I don't I don't know. Um, hey, we could be talking about Fight Club. Could be talking about Fight Club. <laughs> um, it, it really is an interesting movie to watch, if only because the amazing Jonathan is such an unlikable person in this, and it, really, I you feel bad for Berman, but then you kind of see how he's he's kind of manipulating things for his own end, and it's. It's worth a look, but don't say I didn't tell you if you hate it. Uh, I mean, it's it's worth the conversation. Um, or maybe it's not. I don't know. It, it, but it is a movie that held my interest and left me thinking. And still to this day, I don't know if I like it or I don't like it. Which, again, we could be talking about Fight Club. If all else fails, find... Uh, I'm sure YouTube must be just full of clips of the amazing Jonathan doing his act in the 80s. And he had about three different ten-minute chunks that were very fun, and he it, it it was a good act. Okay, that's what it was. And I remember I was a fan of of when I would see him. It was always the same 
three ten minutes. <laughs> but he had it down cold, and it worked. It played every time. And he's a notorious prankster, which is another thing to keep in mind. Yes. When wondering about the things going on in this movie. So that is on Hulu. You can check it out for free if you have Hulu. Um, but we're going to talk about another meta movie that we might or might not like that might have a protagonist we might or not, <laughs> not care for that much. Uh, this is part two of our 1999 double feature. Now, in fall 1999, Fight Club was unleashed. I, I have in my notes like a bomb in the theaters. It, it did <laughs> Unless come, you're punning. <laughs> uh, we're a couple weeks out from the release of Joker. Uh, we when, are. When this is released. And so when we're recording this, it's actually the build-up to Joker being released. And there's a lot of fears about maybe the violence it could possibly incite and things like that. I do remember Fight Club coming with those same worries. I mean, this was a few months after Columbine, and this was a movie that people were worried was going to, I, I don't know, have people starting fight clubs, have people <laughs> reacting in violence. You can see the Oprah episode now, real life fight clubs. <laughs> um, but it's based on Chuck, I have a hard time pronouncing it. I think it's Polonic. Polonic, okay. I was going to say Poloniak, and I'm like, he might hate me for that. But uh, it's the story of an unnamed narrator played by Ed Norton. Uh, as with American Beauties, Lester Burnham, he's in a bit of a funk. He's depressed. He's prone to insomnia. He only feels anything when he attends support groups, jarred to life by the pain he sees in there. That's taken away when he meets Helena Bonham Carter's Marla, who mirrors his own hypocrisy. Shortly after that, he meets Brad Pitt's Tyler Durden, who spouts bro profundities like you are not your khakis and challenges the nature, the narrator's way of thinking. He also introduces him to the idea of finding enlightenment through bashing your face in. <laughs> and kickstarts a revolution among angry young men. So. Would be. Let's call it a would be revolution. <laughs> a would be revolution. Okay. So. Obviously, this is a movie about very angry, toxic men. Which immediately dates it. Because it's not in it. That, that doesn't that happen thing. anymore. That's that's not in the news ever. No, I guess I guess my thing is, um my my question is first off, like American Beauty, do you remember seeing this in theaters and what was your reaction at that point? My reaction at the time was the exact same reaction I had to uh, a clockwork orange over time. Which was this is a movie that any smart sixteen year old should love and any smart twenty two year old should have outgrown. Okay, yeah, okay. That was exactly my thoughts on it. Okay. Um, uh, here's the other thing that, uh, and this was the other thing at play with it for me. Uh, uh, Seven is one of my very favorite films ever. I think it is one of the two absolute Fincher masterpieces. Okay. Uh, and it's a film we're going to be talking about. Nice. Not too long from now. Okay. Uh, and, uh, that said, the Game is my least favorite David Fincher film. Okay. I hate The Game. Not that it's not well made. Not that it's not doing everything it wants to do and being cute and gameplay. But it, uh, The Game to me always felt like, well, you don't know how to make a movie about a middle-aged man going through a midlife crisis, so you've made this. Like, it felt like point, it felt pointless to me. Okay. It felt like a, a really empty exercise, especially coming on the heels of Seven, which is a masterwork for me. Okay. I did like how this seemed at least to be about something again. <laughs> so I, I was encouraged that I didn't feel Fincher had, Fincher, I was not going to lose him. Sure. That Seven was not a one-off. That he did have things on his mind. <laughs> 
they might not have been as fully formed as I hoped at the time, mm-hmm. but he at least was thinking, and this was about something. It wasn't just about getting in your face. Right. It really did have some very smart humor on it. Well, he can resonate probably with people going through a quarter-life crisis instead of... <laughs> at that point, for sure. Yeah. 20 years ago? Absolutely. Okay. Um, 20 years ago, I know I saw this movie in theaters, which it might have dropped like a bomb in theaters... Because it was a bomb in theaters. It was. It did not make a lot of money. But so I was one of the, I saw it opening weekend. I was probably one of the few. Um, and I remember in my twenties, I, you know, I told you before we started that I don't know if my views on it have changed and I, that might be wrong. Um, because now that I think about it, I was pretty into this movie in, in my twenties. I, I would have been exactly 20 when this movie came out. Okay. And so, and I was that angry kid starting to be like, oh, this world they're selling me is a lie and, and American culture and capitalism. And, and so, you know, I, I'm not my khakis. I, I, you know, and, and so I was really galvanized. It really kind of hit that same, that same little sweet spot the Matrix hit for me, although I don't think I liked it as much as the Matrix. Um, I think I didn't know what to do with it at the time because it seemed very passionate and revolutionary and yet I couldn't understand the humor at that point. I don't know if I I don't know if I understood that half of what was going on in the movie was humor at that point. It was making it was making <laughs> satire of things. I mean I was I was fully one of those angry young men who would have embraced the message of this movie. You were um, all Project Mayhem. I, w- I I was all in. Uh, my name was Chris Williams. But uh <laughs> but but it, it was definitely a movie I liked. I thought it had a lot that spoke to me. I don't know if I really bought the twist at the time, which I might have changed my mind on that one. I actually saw it coming. Okay. And I don't, I, you know, most know I don't say, I don't, I don't brag about this. Uh-huh. I actually saw it coming and not, not immediately, but I, I caught all of those, like the flashes of red. Like early on when you see the quick, like splinters oh, uh, of his jacket. Yeah. And yeah. whatnot. And I realized, oh, all right. <laughs> Something's like that prepped me enough to be like, okay, something's up. And then I, I put it together. Not a ton before, not enough. Like during the, uh, the great sequence where he's having the fight with her in, in the house and he has the line about they were never in the same room at the same yes. time. Yeah. I, I think it was about then I maybe started to put, oh, maybe this is what's going on here. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I, I had it by the end. Coming. I don't think I was looking for a twist, but I think when it was a twist, I was probably at that age where I was like, Six Sense had a better twist. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and I remember, but I remember there was enough in the movie that it kind of stuck with me. And I bought it and I watched it a few more times and really came to like it, really thought, yeah, this is the movie that, that, that really we need to see because men need to remember that we are, you know, we, we can be men again. We are, you know. Wow. Yeah, I know. You fell right into that whole fire I, in the belly subculture, if, didn't you? If I, wow. if I had been going to college away at that point, there would have been a fight club poster on my wall, maybe. <laughs> um, but it's like almost as quickly as the movie got into my veins, it left. Yeah. Um, I, you went from 16 to 22 in like nine months. I, really, I did. Because <laughs> when I sat down, and I own it on DVD. I, I, I think I bought it. No, I bought it on Blu-ray. It was one of the first Blu-rays I bought. Okay. But I didn't watch it. I just, I put it in my head. I was like, oh, Fight Club. I'd like to watch that again. It was like five bucks. But I never, I never got around to rewatching it. And like American Beauty, when I sat down to rewatch it for this podcast, it was my first time in probably 18 years sitting and watching that again. That's absolutely true for me. And uh, I, I too, I own it on DVD and I, I don't think I'd ever put the DVD in and I had not seen it since 
Maybe I saw it once after it hit video. Okay. I did do, I, I, doing a little bit of research. Yes, people, I actually do sometimes a little <laughs> bit of research before coming in. Uh, I read an article that said it's the biggest DVD se- uh, seller in the history of Fox. Oh, it's huge. It, it, <laughs> they've released it several times on DVD. Now, do you have the special edition where it launches not the Fight Club menu, but the Never Been Kissed menu? No, I don't. <laughs> Which I always thought was a nice little joke. I remember that from when I bought it. So I must That's funny. It. I don't have that. Yeah, I must have seen it again at some point because I did have that version. I, but it's a movie, I, even as I like David Fincher quite a bit... It's not a movie I felt really compelled to revisit. So my question is, how did it hold up when you revisited it? Or not hold up, but how do you feel watching it again? So, uh, uh, you're familiar with the concept of the bad fan? <laughs> this is a, yeah. I think it's Emily Nussbaum, uh, in The New Yorker does, has this phrase where there yes, are, I just read her book. By okay. The way, so. There are people who like things for the wrong reason. Yes. Yes. Okay. This was my problem with Fight Club instantly. Um, I, I always felt my, my problem with Fight Club was the people who loved it didn't get it. Yes. And the people who, and, and the, there wasn't enough on there for me to care. Like it wasn't so smart about mocking those people that I felt it had a point at the time. <laughs> uh, now this said, I, I'm, I'm picking apart the story. This is a fun film to look at. It is, it is a pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a poorly made movie by any means. It is a brilliantly made movie. Uh, and going at it with, with this mindset of 20 years later, the thing that most struck me is how good Helena Bonham Carter is in it. I, I had yeah. taken her for granted because it's Brad Pitt's show. And it's, it's, that's not fair. It's Norton's show. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt gets all the fun speeches, but Norton's working hard in this movie. Yes. He's carrying a lot in this movie, but Helena Bonham Carter is spectacular in it. Uh, when you see the work, you know, we, if you know the twist, Watching the interactions she has with the two of them are fantastic. To realize how well she is playing both of those, how how straight she's. We can't forget. It. Sorry, know the film already. We're gonna have to talk about that. We can't. We yeah, can't yeah. talk around no, this it, at this it's point. Been out for twenty years. Yes, Brad Pitt is Ed Norton. <laughs> yes, Tyler Durden is a schizophrenic split. Yes, for for the main character, and Helen Bonham Carter is playing both. To both of them exactly the same way. Yes. Which is fantastic. <laughs> it's it's it, just a great, smart performance. It's interesting because Helena Bonham Carter is an actress who I don't really get excited to see in movies. I do. Um, mainly because I still, I like, I see her show up in Tim Burton things all the time and I don't get excited about Tim Burton things. That's fair. Uh, I, sh- I she showed up in, you know, um, the Harry Potter movies playing the Helena Bottom Carter she role. Great, knows that. Um, really like hers. But uh, so I, I mean, I kind of always associated that kind of grungy goth era of Helena Bottom Carter to start with Fight Club. <laughs> Maybe it did. So I was kind of dreading her presence in the movie. I totally agree with you. I think I, what I had always remembered was her being the killjoy. That she's the person who keeps dragging Ed Norton's character <laughs> back to reality. Wow. But when you watch, especially later in the movie, as she starts to distance herself from him. Yeah. There's hurt there. Like yes. This, she is, this is a real relationship to her 
that if you're watching it the first time, you don't totally get because it's a relationship with Tyler. But then when you start realizing what she's seen and how she's reacting, there's that sequence where she goes back to the house and he's like, Tyler left. And the way she plays it, the hurt and confusion, there, there's a real human being in that role, which is not something I usually think about with this movie. Yes. Um, she's, she's really good. And she's, I think, key to what the movie might be trying to say. Um, we can, we can get to the ending later. We can talk about it now. I, I think it's very telling <laughs> that the final shot of the movie is Ed Norton and Helen Bottom Carter holding hands. <laughs> Maybe this idea that as somewhere as the a, credit buildings go down. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but there is a weird twisted love story. Oh, absolutely. In this. Absolutely. And I think that's the anchor he finds at the end. I had this, I had the same reaction and that last line of Norton's is very sweet. Yes. In this context. It's yes. not, it's not a, it's not just a dark joke. No. No, it's <laughs> a sweetness to it. It's kind of a, oh, Human made a very bad, it's, very weird time. It, it, it's almost that thing I didn't get from American Beauty, if you listen to last episode, <laughs> where it's this realization that, oh, shit, what have I done? But he's grasping onto something else. And I don't know, maybe his building collapses at the end of that, too. <laughs> I don't know if he's even alive at the end of the movie, but um I, I, I do find her being key to whatever redemption he finds in this. And, and I... I I always underestimated her contribution to this movie. She's fantastic. <laughs> um, she's also very funny. Um, she's very filthy in this movie. It's a very filthy movie, just even to look at. Uh, <laughs> it, it looks like it's been caked in dirt. And, um, yeah, I, I think, I think the thing that struck me on this viewing was I still don't know whether this is an edgy movie that is taking studio money to make something that is very punk rocking in your face, or Sam Van Hogren posted this on Letterboxd. This is his review of the movie. He called it designer anarchy. And I don't know if it's a movie that is really subverting what Fox gave it to do, or if it's a movie that is like, look how cool our anarchy is. Because it is a movie that wants you to think it's very edgy. I'm not sure how edgy what it's saying is. I don't know how much meat is on that bone. It is, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand. I swim in these waters with you. Uh, but I think I swim towards the end that say it's pretty edgy in that, uh, it's for the reasons you were just expressing. It's aesthetically edgy. Yeah. If nothing else. And I, and that is not worth dismissing that they spent $60 million to make a movie that looks like that. Yes, it looks fantastic. It also looks grungy and sick and diseased because it is the main character's movie and he is grungy and sick and diseased. There's a reason it looks yeah. this way. Rightfully so. That said, I think it is absolutely worth uh, noting again. Yeah, that last scene resolves this love story in a really sweet way and it does end with those buildings going down. Yeah. <laughs> For which... I, 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 I cannot, I, I, I don't do, I, while I was never all in in the fire in the belly, rabid 20 something blow up the world, I never went through that phase. Uh, I, I've got enough of a Marxist in me that I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I like seeing the credit buildings go down. I'm okay with this in a, in a movie world. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good with this message. I'm okay with that. I don't want to give up my life for it. I don't want to go crazy about it, but I don't, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> 
I think part of the reason I kind of side with you in saying maybe there is more meat on the bones than I want to give it credit for is because, A, I think there's a party that's still kind of resisting my own angry impulses from 20 years ago saying, <laughs> look, look how dumb you were to fall for this, which is not what I, I was the bad fan. I was the one saying, you know, yeah, this is what we need, where he's kind of, he's needling that. He's poking fun at that. And I think one of the reasons this movie works as well as it does in some points is the satire is really fine to the point that you don't always know what he's poking fun at and what this movie is sincere about. Um, I think the, I, <laughs> there, there is enough in there that is true <laughs> in, in their critique of culture that you can understand why these angry men are so angry. There is enough ridiculousness in what they do where you can see him laughing at the extremes they go. Oh, yes. And I think that is, that is where the movie rides a really nice edge where you talk about the bad fans. I can see why bad fans, quote unquote, fell for that. Yes. Because if you're not, if you're not able to discern the fact that this is a satire, that this is a comedy, you're playing right into, oh yeah, this is the move. This, this yes, is, this is my yes. uh, my manifesto. Yes, and I think Fincher is really good about playing that without overplaying it, which does make it feel still subversive in a lot of points. Yes, I also think just the context of Fincher's career and that he has a history of taking studio money to make things that I'm like, how did a studio let him make that? <laughs> also speaks to the fact that maybe. He knew what he was doing with this movie. Oh, I think he knew. I, I think Fincher always knows what he's doing. One of the smartest things I've ever heard anyone say to distill a director down to their essence was, uh, uh, my friend Heather Fairs, music critic Heather Fairs, had a great line. We were discussing David Fincher one day and she said, you know what? I bet he has really tiny handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's to me, that's, that's, I, I, I always like to think that Fincher actually wrote all the diaries in seven. <laughs> That's my dream. So he probably didn't, but I like to think that that was him. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He knew exactly what he was doing. And you know, if you read interviews with Bill Mechanic, who was the head of film, the head of Fox Film at the time, uh-huh. he's a great figure. He's he's a great storyteller. He took genuine chances when he was at Fox. He built it into the most power, the best studio, most profitable studio at, at that time. Certainly, I mean, he greenlit Titanic. <laughs> He greenlit this. Not that this made money, but he greenlit this. He took genuine chances and risks yeah. and knew what he was doing and was the only one of the big suits at 20th Century Fox who championed the movie. Uh, infamously, Rupert Murdoch hated this movie. You know, I, in the last episode, I mentioned the book, um, Best Movie Year Ever. There is a whole chapter devoted to fight. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the way the studio arguments about this yes. movie. Uh, Do they tell the story about the... Uh, the uh, the test for the line of dialogue. Yes, the, uh, the I want to have your abortion. Yes, line of dialogue. The, the I haven't been fucked like that since the third grade line yeah. got changed into that because yes, it was an improv. After I the original line was I want to have your abortion, and they said you can't have that yeah. line, and so they asked for just a straight up suggestions on the set of who came up with the most offensive line possible, yeah. so that it would be so offensive they would get that line back, and what they came up with, yeah. I've been fucked like that since grade school. I think yes, it's actually like that's the line. Which then it's horrible. was even more oh, yeah. horrible and tested better. So they had to leave it in because they said we, it'll test. It'll never test well. It tested better than the abortion line. It, <laughs> yeah. I, Fox it, had no control over this. It was so good. It, it's interesting my reaction to this movie. Like I, 
<clears throat> there's a part of me that wants to say it's not, I don't know why I want to say this. I want to say it's not as great as I remembered, but I don't know if I really believe that because as we're talking <laughs> about it, and even as I was watching, I vacillated. I watched it in two chunks, just timing wise. And I remember I turned it off the first night, went to bed, and my wife was like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, I'm watching Fight Club again. She's like, how's that? I'm like, ah, you know, it's not that great. And then I watched it the second night, and I'm like, oh, no, I think I, I, I think there's actually... It is actually like pretty that. great, yeah. And it's an interesting movie that it, it, I kind of war with it, and I don't really know why. It, it, it's really a fascinating, like, I think there's a part of me that wants to believe it's not as cool as it thinks it is, but maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I think it's the reaction that people have had to it. Like, the way it has become that manifesto for a lot of angry people, there is a part of me that just instinctively wants to react against it until I revisit the movie and see... And I don't think those fans exist anymore. Like, I don't think anybody does like it for those reasons anymore, which is maybe part of the reason I am, I feel more warmly towards it than I did 20 years ago. That could be. I don't sell anybody anymore who thinks, oh, this is the truth, man. I don't know that. <laughs> but I think also as we live in an age, which kind of speaks to why this movie is, again, still worth talking it's about. It's super it. timely. It is super timely. I mean, this is – I, I think my hesitancy is also there's a lot of men out there who talk like Tyler Durden. There's, there's a lot of angry, angry men out there. And I, there's a part of me that almost wants to just – trash this movie so I don't give them the fuel for it. <laughs> Except that Fincher is laughing at them. Very and, much so. And, and it's, Very it's much really, so. It really is a, a fascinating movie. Like, even as we're talking now, I thought I would have nothing to say about it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I think I think this is exactly the type of movie he wants me to have this conversation on, where I, I go back and forth between loving and hating it. And <laughs> It's because it's it is angry and in your face and edgy. It's the poochie of movies, <laughs> but uh, but it it does it, it's abrasive. It's a very abrasive movie, and I don't know what 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 else. What do you got? Here's the other thing that struck me, and the other thing that keeps me from keeping it in the highest tier of Fincher for me. Okay, uh, and this is a very specific. Uh, there's there's a moment where for me. Um, it's, it's about, it's about the three quarter point of the movie. And it's the point at which, uh, it's this, it's, it starts just before he starts traveling across the country again, asking if these people have seen mm. Tyler Durden. It's where he starts to put together what, right. what is happening. Right. It starts with that fight they have in the car as they're driving away with the two other Project Mayhem guys and yeah. they get into the car accident. There is something about that section of the movie that may, is maybe 10 minutes that to me feels like the, like it feels wayward. The movie feels utterly focused and moving and going forward for an hour and a half. And then it feels like just the sails go out and it meanders and it doesn't like, uh, there is something, the propulsion of the narrative stops me. And I, it, I felt this at the time and I felt it again watching it. It's the one thing that was absolutely the same to me. The one sort of problem I had with it. Now, here's what's interesting between then and now. Mm -hmm. That's happened to me in Fincher one other time. And it's in Zodiac. Okay. And in Zodiac, it's purposeful. <laughs> Zodiac pays off why he does that to you by the end. Because he's making you experience the investigation as the cops did. And right. when the cops lose the tail and feel that propulsion of that... Uh, that uh, 
uh, uh, uh, edit all that pause out. Investigation. Okay. The propulsion of that investigation is stopped because they had nowhere else to go. The same thing happens to the movie. And I was like, oh, in the, I remember sitting in the movie thinking, oh, this, the, this isn't working. This isn't going like it was for so, and then you realize, oh, I'm supposed to live with that. Right. That's the point. I don't think that's the point of this sequence in Fight Club. <laughs> I think it genuinely kind of hurts the movie a little bit this is for the me. Scene where they're kind of having their lover's spat in the car, right? Where it's Ed Norton's character, uh, this, this is where he's angry. He wasn't invited in Project Mayhem. and Yes, right? Jack and Tyler Durden are having a fight in the front seat of the car while the two Project Mayhem guys are in the back. And they end up in a car accident and uh, one of them is hurt really badly and Durden says, did you feel alive? Or something like yeah, that. You saw how great the car accident was. I'm like, you've missed something here and it doesn't work. And, I, I, and now the only argument I have for it, thinking about it and seeing it all again, is that it's the one scene that I don't understand what's actually happening. Like, physically, I don't understand what's actually happening. What is Ed Norton, do- what is Jack doing in I- that sequence physically? I get that he's literally beating himself up all the other times because we have a scene where he right. literally beats himself up. So we know what all those scenes looked like back then. I don't understand what driving the car looks and having this fight looks like. The car could not be doing that. It's... I don't... No, no, because I had the same thought. I had the same thought because I think knowing the twist at this point hurts that scene. Even yes! Even if you can't feel it, but knowing it because, A, who is driving? Now, I can probably say, okay, well... It's just Tyler's in control, so he's driving while in the way Ed Norton's visualizing. But there's two people in that car who are they watching him talk to himself? Are I they assume him so. Argue with himself, and are they just thinking this is normal? I understand why this scene is thematically there because it's that idea yes. of Tyler keeping stuff from you know the narrator's more yes. sensible. It's stuff. when he's starting to put it together. Yes, but I absolutely. agree. It is the one scene you can't explain like there, you can't explain it physically what's happening you can't and that was always when I learned the twist for the movie that was the scene I kept coming back to like that scene does not work because who's driving the car what are the other guys seeing what's going on in this moment well I mean I get I get it's truly it's just physical I even understand what they are yes he's talking to himself I fully can comprehend that I fully I believe everything both of them say is literally being said aloud mm-hmm. I, I didn't go that far because that's the fun of having trained them to not, to, to deny everything. <laughs> that's that's a, they've, they've, they've worked that out logically, story point wise for me. I'm okay with that. Okay. They would believe that this is all just a challenge. <laughs> because that's all Tyler does. They, they, they're into that. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I don't have the, uh, I, I, yeah, physically I don't understand what has happened there. It's not, it's not it's that it's awesome. a huge problem. We are drilling down here, folks. I don't want to say this is a giant, you know, it but doesn't burst messy, the bubble of the movie. It's the one, it's a messy scene from a director who is a notorious perfectionist. <laughs> um, and it, it is, uh, there is a sense in which Fight Club has this weird sense where I know Fincher was meticulous about how he put this movie together because that's what he does. And you can see how intentional, even with those, uh, the subliminal imagery that comes in, yes. the editing, everything is 
very much making a point. And yet I still feel like it's one of those messy movies that a director gets to make after they make their great movies. <laughs> where they have that one just kind of messy, I'm going to throw everything out there just to see what I'm capable of. And it almost you could it feels like it could fall apart at any moment, and it doesn't. It's a very focused movie. Everything except for that one scene kind of holds up when you look at the twist. But it is a movie that feels like any moment it could fall apart. Uh, there's even one moment <laughs> where the uh, it, the uh, film starts to rattle. And oh yeah, almost the film breaking at yes. that point. Uh, it, it's it's an interestingly made movie. Oh, it's uh, great. Things that, like, I, I, I do think it's interesting, too. There are certain aspects to the movie that really, if he made this movie today, you couldn't have in there the idea of the uh, the cigarette burns. Would not exist if he remade this movie today. Nope. The uh, subliminal imagery, cutting in, splicing in scenes, would not be part of that today. Nope. Uh, I, I found that very interesting. I don't know if that says much, but I, I did find it fascinating. Um, let's talk Red Pit. Okay. I think he is a blast in this movie. <laughs> I, I think it, I, I love the fact that Brad Pitt will play into his image. He knows, he knows how good he looks. He knows how charismatic he is. And I love that he turns that into a weapon in this movie. Yeah. It, it is him just being as Brad Pitt as he can be. And saying, if I attach a horrible person to this guy, are you just going to follow me? <laughs> and we do, because he's so charismatic and just having a blast in this. I I have to imagine this is one of his favorite movies he's done. Um, he, he's just having a ball. because It sure looks like it. He, yeah. But Ed, Ed Norton, is, like you said, he's doing just as hard at work. He's probably <laughs> working harder because he doesn't get to have as much fun. Uh, and I, I love Ed Norton in this. I, I love... I, I love that you can imagine him being Tyler Durden saying those things by the end of the movie. Yes. Like, at the beginning of the movie, you're thinking, there's no, you, the, you, if I told you he's really Tyler yeah. Durden, you wouldn't imagine it. By the end of the movie, he's so just, I had a hone down to an angry edge. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I love that he's also kind of aware of how bullshit this it is because he's telling <laughs> us the story from the end. So I love the little, there's the scene where, yes, these are, <laughs> this is blood on my collar. Yes, it's from fighting. I am enlightened. And you can almost sense the snark of him telling you, I see how much bullshit it is now. Um, I always thought that, and I thought it again seeing it, that, that when you get back to that last sequence again and he's got the gun in his mouth, that uh, he is, he's he looks like a Muppet. <laughs> he just looks, he is loose-limbed and out of control and scared and just shaking, and he's fantastic. It's a, it's a, it is, it is a remarkably physical performance. Not just the fighting. Mm -hmm. It is all about how he carries himself. It is all about how he's playing this mental illness. Yeah. That is what he's playing. That's what the performance is. It is a performance of mental illness, which people... You know, unless you put it aside and concentrate on what he's doing, that's what it is. It is, it's not... yeah, it... <laughs> and it's a really good one. It's it's really good. There is the scene where I feel like there. We talk. We we talked about this a little bit with American Beauty. Certain movies you could not make anymore because of their content. Fight Club would not exist in a theater today because of that scene. Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons it wouldn't. But the scene where his boss corners him about finding the uh, the rules to Fight Club on the copier, 
And Ed Norton talks about, an ang- you know, you, you don't want to be too hard on this person because he could get a assault rifle and stalk from Cuba. <laughs> that made me so uncomfortable watching <laughs> And I am sure in that day, well, actually, in that day, they, Warner Brothers, or, God, Warner Brothers, Fox wanted him to take that out, because Columbine had happened a few months ago, but it led into the Marla stuff, so they kept it in. Yes. But, I, oh, I, I guess that's I where I... know. I think you could. I don't want to say that that couldn't happen to a movie. I think you could have that speech. Uh, yeah. I, I know. I guess that is where I still find the movie has that edge there. Like, it, it's playing with real emotion. So. Oh, oh, I think it gets, I think it is a... It it is a portrait of fascism, yeah. <laughs> and that sadly never goes out of style. That's that's always on point. It's just more on point than other times in our cult in in world history, not just American culture. So it's uh, yeah. Like I had forgotten all. Like I I had truly forgotten the whole. You quoted the beginning. His name was whatever. Like Robert when Meatloaf died. I had forgotten that whole sequence and I was laughing. Like, oh my god, that's so that's, smart. That is such, that is something that, that is such a fabulous. <laughs> I, I didn't have, I don't think I had the faculties at that point in 20 years ago to see that that was a joke. Where right. I, I was probably like, oh yeah, these men are just so dedicated to the cause. And now you watch it, it's just like he's trying to talk sense into them, and they're still reading it. No, there's a lesson here, you know, in yes. death. We have, I, I, yeah, I had a good laugh at that too. Um, I think the whole Project Mayhem stuff turns into such, such a good joke about where this anger <laughs> ultimately takes you when you follow a guy like this. I, it, it's, it's so over the top that you laugh at it. You laugh at how misguided it is and that they end up just falling for the same shit an advertiser would fall with the, with yes. Them. Uh, and that's what Brad Pitt is. He's a slogan spouter. Yes. And I, I don't know. I, I, I find that very fascinating that you just really, you follow the extremes, you end up at the same place. <laughs> and so you're not going to have Ikea selling you all this furniture, but you have Brad Pitt telling you, you know, to embrace the pain and things like that. It's selling pain. It's selling experience. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. One of the great, uh, Easter egg surprises for me was, uh, have, have we talked about Manhunter? Have we talked about Manhunter we on not the air? Ta- the TV show? Yeah. No, because I have not watched Manhunter. Oh, okay. I love it. Okay. I yeah. full stop. I think it's the, I think it's the best hour long show Netflix has okay. ever had. All right. I, That's my quick superlative that you okay. can throw away or whatever. Um, one of the great pleasures in it for me is, uh, Holt McCallany. Oh, okay. Who plays Bill Tench. Okay. The partner of the younger lead in the, in the series. Yeah, he's one of the guys in the car. He, he's, well, he's the guy who gives, he's the one who gives that speech when Meatloaf dies. Yeah. He's the one who says that. And I did not remember him at all. Okay. You know, I, I've not seen Fight Club, in, Fight Club in 19 years. Uh, and it was so great. It's like, oh, that's Holt! That's Holt McCallany! Oh my gosh! Feature used him 20 years ago! I remembered him from my number. That's fantastic! Uh- <laughs> I believe he's in another Fincher movie. I wouldn't doubt it. He uh, must like it. I think he's in Alien 3. Might be Alien 3. And think about how much Fincher wanted to do this. He was willing to come back to Fox. I know. Because Fox was also Alien 3. Uh, one of the great little Easter eggs for me is I had totally forgotten Jared Leto was in this movie. Oh, yes. And there was a certain pleasure to watching him get his face bashed in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I destroy something beautiful. But the makeup on him... From that point of the movie on is so unsettling. Just that puffed up face. So good. 
Um, he's yeah. good here, and he's good in uh, Panic Room. I really like Panic Room. Too. I do like Panic Room. Panic Room. Where would you put this on your Fincher list? Uh, oh gosh, I'd have to look at all of them in front of me. It's it's you know it's it's mid to high. Okay, yeah, that's I think. I mean, for me, it's it's seven and Zodiac to me are interchangeable. In fact, no, I put Zodiac first and seven okay. second. I think those are, and I think those are absolute uh, masterworks. And spoiler, you're going to hear a lot about seven in a little okay. bit <laughs> in, in a future episode. I think, depending on when this drops, maybe it's coming out be before. Future. Maybe you've already heard me talk about seven, but uh, uh, those two for sure. And then I have to really sit and look at it and think about it. Uh, I know I'm going to forget something if I sit here and do this. Um, I would have the social network it's, higher. Oh, again, I forget that's him. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I forget it too. That'd be third. Um, yes, that'd God, be third. Venture would be a good one to have a conversation, full conversation on his career. I don't, there are very few movies he's made that I dislike. Um, uh, the only one for me is the game. That's the only one I dislike. See, and it's been too long since I've seen the game, but I remember liking it at the time. And I might like it now. I might like it without the weight of it being the follow-up to 7 on it better. And I actually own it. I have the Criterion Blu-ray, and I've never watched it. It was given to me. (laughs) I'm not a psychotic who buys movies I don't like. But but I I should probably go back and revisit it. Yeah, I feel like the other ones I don't like by him. Um, I I don't like Benjamin Button. Um, I'm okay with Button. I think it works. I have to this day, my crusade has always been that we needed to have a six foot tall baby at the end of Benjamin Button, and I'm still really <laughs> upset about that. Uh, for some reason, that movie just kind of thudded with me. I do not like his Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, I do. I don't know if it's because I was just really over that whole thing by that. Like, cause the, I had read the books, I'd seen the other movies, and, and I feel like this still sat with me better than the other movies. In that, I think I was just burned out on that. It I, does have a great title sequence. I want to say, uh, here's the reason I, I really like it. Uh, beyond the fact that I really like it. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I am not burned out on them. I never watched all three of the original foreign language films. I just watched the first okay. one. I had read all the books. I um, I, I like the movie. It's, as, as we've been saying, his movies aren't easy to... I mean... They're abrasive, but they're easy to watch. They are yes. they are a pleasure to watch. He's, he's, well, he's such a beyond gifted yes. filmmaker. Um, but what stands that film out for me every time we talk about it is I love watching Daniel Craig play fear. He's afraid in that movie. And there are so few male leads, let alone Bonds, who would allow themselves to play genuinely scared. Okay. Not tense, not worried. He is scared in that sequence. I think it's a spectacular piece of acting. That's the, the <laughs> climax of the movie, right? Yes, the and big sequence. And I very kind of taken with that. That's, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> this is so few actors would make that jump. And that's, 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 uh, you know, that shows Daniel Craig's, uh, I don't want to say bravery, but his willingness to A, play fear, B, to trust to, to trust to play for Fincher, mm-hmm. and it really lets Rooney Marsh shine. It's, it is, it is the, it is the, uh, it is adjacent to, you know, you need the powerful bad guy to make the good guy look so good. Well, having a, having a co-star who's really genuinely scared they're gonna die also makes you seem pretty heroic. <laughs> I think the thing I was always thankful for Girls with the Dragon Tattoo for was I, I always felt like it was him doing a popular adaptation of a novel, 
he got that bad one out of his system was the way I looked at it. And oh. then he did Gone Girl, and I love Gone Girl. I like Gone Girl. I, I think Gone Girl's a lot of fun. And another movie that I think doesn't like get Gone the Girl. appreciation as being a dark comedy that uh, Fight Club gets. I think Gone Girl's actually very funny in places. Yes. Um, Do you have anything else to say on Fight Club? Uh, let's see. Yeah. If you've never seen it, I mean, you probably haven't if you're a, unless you're a Fight Club enthusiast. Uh, I... I, I can't. I think it's on one of the DVDs. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube at this point. I think I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, if you've never seen the duet that Brad Pitt and uh, Ed Norton Jr. do uh, of uh, Venus. Oh, Venus! No, I haven't seen Make that. my dream come true. They do a very distinct uh, version of it. Uh, seek it out. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention they seek it out. They created PSAs for this movie. <laughs> they did. That, yes. that I think are very funny, and I wish they had let them put them in theaters. Um, Brad Pitt talking about how you can drink your urine <laughs> is really great. Uh, that's Fight Club. Uh, we will be back in two weeks with a new episode. Perry, in the meantime, where are you at? You can find me on Facebook at Perry Seibert. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can probably find me in the third row standing of your local multiplex. And if you live in the Ypsilanti area, feel free to come on down and join Movie uh, Film Club. It's free. It's at the Ypsilanti Library. I lead it. We meet every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. We watch great movies, and then we talk about them. You can find me writing about movies at michigansportsandentertainment.com. You can find my other podcast, Wasting Time, every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. We'll be back in two weeks.